have begun a sermon series a few weeks ago called Give Me Jesus. As we prepare for Christmas, we want to make this our prayer and our petition. When someone asks you, what do you want for Christmas this year, what are you going to say? Give me Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift you could ever receive. We've talked about boasting in Christ. We spoke about the compassion of Christ. Last week we talked about the name of Jesus. Tonight or today I want to talk about friendship with Jesus. And I want you to go with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21 and verse 4. The last chapter of the Gospel of John in your New Testament, John chapter 21 and verse 4. When I think about this phrase, give me Jesus, there's a man that comes to mind from the gospel. He was a man who wanted Jesus more than anything else in his life. He was not a perfect man. In fact, he was quite a flawed man. And many times when we think about the men of the Bible, it's hard to relate to some of them because they did such extraordinary things. They amazed us with their faith. But I think all of us can relate to Simon Peter. Simon Peter didn't always know what to say. He didn't always have the right answer. He made some mistakes. He stumbled. But what characterizes the heart of this man is that he wanted Jesus. And so as we look to this theme this morning, Give Me Jesus, I want you to walk with me alongside of Simon Peter and see how Jesus impacted and affected his life. John chapter 21 and verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him and said, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast then their nets and were not able to haul in because of the great number of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We thank you for the opportunity to come to the Lord's table and to receive the communion. And now we pray that you would speak to our hearts by your holy and inspired word. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might hear the word and put it to use and to useful effect in their life. We ask that in Jesus' name and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Simon Peter was one of those men that Jesus called to be his disciples. And at a point in time in which uh, we read the story uh, in John chapter 21, a lot has happened to bring us to this point. And so I want to uh, draw your attention to those moments uh, in the life of Simon Peter, which shaped his faith and shaped his character before God. We see him at the beginning of the gospel story, 
He is beside the Sea of Galilee. He's a fisherman. By all accounts, he is a successful fisherman. He has a number of boats that are part of his enterprise. And so Peter is a man of Capernaum who has received some success in the carrying out of his a business as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He's from the city of Capernaum, which is along a road that is a very uh, highly uh, traversed road. And he is uh, in a place where there is a lot of going on for the nation of Israel. So he's not only successful, but he's in a good place to have a great influence for the kingdom um, that he is trying to build for his own use and for his own purposes. But then one day as he's fishing, the Bible said that Jesus came by the Sea of Galilee. The scripture said that Jesus came by and he calls out to him and he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. So in that moment, Simon Peter's life is changed. He's been given an opportunity to follow Christ. He's been given an opportunity to go in a route that he hadn't chosen. Now he's being invited to build a kingdom that is not his own. He's being invited to go with Jesus on a journey that he doesn't know what will be the end or the outcome of it. He's given this command, this call, come, follow me. Just like Simon Peter, all of you this morning have heard that call. You've all been called by God at one moment in your life. You can remember that day when you heard Jesus calling. When you were going about your daily business, carrying out your daily work, you were doing the things that you knew to do, doing the things that were pleasing to you, and then you heard Jesus call. Maybe you were at work when he called you. Maybe you were at church when he called you. Maybe you were running from him when he called you. Maybe you were in a hospital bed or uh, addicted to some drug. But aren't you glad he called you when he did? Aren't you glad that Jesus called you by name, that he drew you to himself? Oh, friend, there is no greater thing than to be called to walk with God, to walk with Jesus, to be in fellowship and in friendship with Christ. You see, the call of God over our life is not just that you would know him as your boss, not just that you would know him as a colleague, but God wants you to know him as a friend. He wants you to walk with him and to come to know him in genuine relationship with God. Do you know this morning that God wants to have a relationship with you? That God wants you to know him personally. He wants you to hear and to know his voice. He wants you to know his love and his affection for your life. The enemy tries all that he might to be able to separate you from fellowship and communion with God. But don't you dare let him do it. Don't let the devil talk you out of relationship with Jesus. Because there is no greater gift and there is no greater joy than a man can have than to walk with God. And to say that God has called him his friend. Say amen somebody. See the Bible tells us that as time goes by. Peter is given an opportunity, and he, he's, Jesus is preaching beside the shores of Galilee, and there's a great multitude, and Jesus, uh, of course, wants to be heard by this multitude, and if you go to the, to the place where Jesus was in the Holy Land today, you can see how that uh, Jesus could have addressed 20,000 people without having to use a microphone because of the natural acoustics of that valley. So Jesus is preaching and he tells Peter, he says, Peter, 
push the boat out a little bit because I want to preach to the people. So he uses Peter's boat as a platform from which to preach. Peter goes along with that because Jesus isn't asking him to do anything outrageous. He's not asking him to do anything difficult. And I find that most of us are willing to go along with Jesus when he asks us to do easy things. When he asks us to do something that's within our reach or within our grasp, it's not too hard to say yes to Jesus. It's not too hard to say yes to him when he's asking you to do those things that you already have within your power to do. But then Jesus makes a second request of Peter. He gives him really a second command. And he says, Peter, take your boat out to the deep and cast in your net for a draw. Peter said, Lord, I've been fishing all night. I've been working hard all night, and I have caught nothing. He was saying, Lord, what you're asking now is beyond my reach. You're asking me to do something that I've already tried. You're asking me to do something that I already failed at. Now we discover that we aren't quite as, as uh, willing to do those things that are required by Jesus sometimes because they require us to stretch beyond our comfort, beyond the place of complacency, to go to a place of faith and a place of complete and total commitment to God. You see, it's not so hard when the Holy Spirit tells you to give a dollar in the offering. You're like, oh, yeah, a dollar, I can do that. But when the Holy Spirit says, give a thousand dollars, oh, my goodness, this has got to be the devil. I rebuke you, right? You start, to, you start to come up with excuses for why you can't do what God has called you to do. And, and so Peter is in this moment, but then he realizes that this is Jesus that he's talking to. Can I just tell you, friend, it doesn't matter what Jesus is asking of you. If Jesus is asking it of you, it is because Jesus knows that he can do it through you and that he can give you the power to succeed in whatever it is that he has called of your life. And so the Bible says that Peter went out, took his, his boat to the deep part of the sea, and he cast his net. And when he drew up that net, there were so many fish in that net that his nets were breaking. And other, other boats had to come along to help him bring in that great harvest of fish that Jesus had given to him. So when he came ashore, the scripture said that he fell at Jesus' feet and he began to worship. Why? Because now the man whom Jesus had called was not only just called by Jesus, but now he was amazed by Jesus. Can I tell you, friends, that when you walk with God, you will be amazed by God. How many of you have ever been amazed by God? How many of you have ever seen God work in your life in such a way where the only thing to do, the natural thing to do was to bow down and to say, blessed be the Lord, and to praise God because he left you in wonder and in awe. Oh, I love those moments when our life is, is at its in a moment of crisis, when it seems like there is no exit and God shows up and just blows your mind and blesses your socks off and, re and receives out of your life the glory and the praise for doing the impossible in your life. You know, when I first began to go into full-time ministry, I started out in full-time ministry in January of 2005. I've been preaching since the age of seven. And um, up until that point, I wasn't full-time because I was a student. And when I had left college, when the Lord called me into full-time ministry, I made this commitment to God. I said, Lord, 
If I'm going into full-time ministry, there's two things. I said, first of all, I'm never going to ask anybody for money. If I have a financial need, I'm going to ask you, and you'll meet the need. So I'll never be asking anybody for money. Second thing, I said, Lord, if you want me to go into full-time ministry, I'm never going to ask a pastor for the pulpit. If I'm going to preach anywhere, it'll be by invitation. You will open the doors, and I'll walk through them, but I will not push any doors open. And so basically, I made that commitment to God. I believe that was his will. But you know that every time you commit to God, that faith is going to be tested. And so just as soon as I started out in that, I received an invitation. And let me just mention while I do that, that I did, I did full-time evangelistic work for seven or eight years. And I never had a single Sunday off. I never had a single Sunday where I didn't have a place to preach. God opened doors in every part of the country and around the world for me to preach. And many times uh, I, have, I had to turn invitations down. Even today, God opens doors for me to preach, but I have a door right here at Kingsway Church, all right? So I just, I just want you to know God's faithfulness toward that. But when I started out, I, I was invited to preach in San Angelo, Texas. Anybody ever been to San Angelo, Texas? Do you know that if you're going to go to San, the, the, you'll never get to San Angelo by accident. You have to be going there to get there. It's in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so I had to go to San Angelo, Texas several hours drive away from where I lived, and I had $50. Those $50 needed to put gas in my car, needed to feed me, and needed to give me a hotel. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of faith that those $50 could do that. Now, along the way, as I'm preparing to leave, uh, I went by my parents' house, and my dad asked a question. He said, how are you? Now, when dad asked that question, he didn't mean, how are you physically? Do you feel well? He didn't mean, uh, you know, are you having a good time? He meant, how are you with cash, with money? How many of you would like to have a dad like that? Just say, how are you? But I had a commitment with God. I can't tell dad that I need money because I told God that if I ever need anything, I'm not going to go to any other person. I'm going to you. And so I told my father, I said, I'm good. And so he didn't give me any money because I was good. And so I went, and, um, and I knew that now I was in a little bit of a pinch. So I, I drove about two miles out of town. There was a, a Walmart. I parked in that Walmart driveway, and I started to complain. And I started to have a pity party. Ever had a pity party? Well, let me tell you how a pity party goes because some of you have never had one. So I just want you to know how a pity party goes. I started to complain. And I started to say, Lord, you called me to preach, and here I am. I want to go preach. There, I need to be in this town, and I don't have the money to get there. And you promised me you were going to give me the resources that I needed. And I'm just carrying on and, and bickering and complaining with God. And I'm sure he's just sitting in heaven wringing his hands because he don't know what he's going to do for me, right? That's how we feel. Like God is out of control. Like God doesn't know how to meet our need. It wasn't that great of a need, but... I needed God in a way that my faith had not yet stretched to that level. And so, as I'm sitting there having my pity party, I heard the rumbling of a dually truck. You guys know how dually trucks sound, right? Pulled up right next to me, and it was my uncle. And he signaled to me to lower the, 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 the window. So I lowered the glass. He said, Isaac, I've been looking for you. I have an offering for you. And he puts out his hand, and he gives me about two or $300 in cash. 
And, uh, and now, as he drove off, I did what Simon Peter did. And I was amazed at God. And, you know, now I'm sitting in my truck, and I'm not arguing. Now I'm crying. And I said, I'll never do this again, Lord. You know, I'm never going to doubt you again. Come on, you know you've been there. Those moments when God just shows up and says, what was that you were saying? What was that I couldn't do? I am God. I am able. I will do the impossible in your life. Come on, somebody. Give God praise. If you've ever been amazed by Jesus, I believe he wants to amaze you today. Peter was amazed by Jesus. Then a few chapters later, we read an even more exciting story. Jesus tells the disciples, go ahead over to the other side of the sea. I'll meet you there. They're on the boat, traveling by night, and a storm comes into the sea. And when they look out at the waves and the wind in that storm, they see a man walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost. They thought it was a phantom, an apparition. And one of them said, no, I think that's Jesus. And when Peter heard, I think that's Jesus, he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. You see, because Peter wanted to be where Jesus was. Listen, Peter said, if, if there's a boat where I'm safe and there's waves where Jesus is, I'd rather be where Jesus is. So he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And the Lord didn't hesitate about it. He said, come. Don't you just hate that? When, when you tell the Lord, Lord, I'll do whatever you do, whatever you want me to do. And then he gives you instructions. Uh, I was speaking hypothetically. I was speaking in the spiritual sense. He said, come. And Peter doesn't think twice about it. He just steps out over that boat and onto the water. You know, we say Peter walked on water, but really what Peter was walking on was he was walking the, on the word of God. He was walking on God's call on his life. Can I tell you, friend, when you walk on the word, you can walk over the impossible in your life. Peter comes out on that water and he starts walking toward Jesus. Why? Because his heart is saying, give me Jesus. Then he took his eyes off of Jesus, you know the story. He put his eyes on the water. He put his eyes on the rain and on the wind and on the waves. And he started to sink. And this fisherman, this man who no doubt knew how to swim like an expert, he was now drowning in the Sea of Galilee. He was now clamoring for his life. And he said the most important word that any man or woman can ever say. He said, Lord, save me. Maybe this morning you are drowning in the affairs of your life. Maybe this morning you are drowning in circumstances that you can't control. And the wind and the sea is prevailing against you. Can I tell you there is a prayer that God wants to hear. Lord, save me. And if you will call upon him, he will save you. And he will deliver you just like he delivered Peter out of the waves of that storm and Jesus reached out and pulled him up out of the water and walked on with him toward the boat. I tell you friends, a lot of preachers they like to make fun of Peter. They say, oh Peter lost his faith. Peter failed. 
but I don't see a failure here. I see the only man other than Jesus in the whole Bible that ever walked on water. Why? Because he wanted to be where Jesus was. So now he had been called by Jesus. And he had been amazed by Jesus. But now he had been rescued by Jesus. Is there anybody in here that has been rescued by Jesus? Come on. Jesus is the friend that runs in when everybody else is running out of your life. Jesus is the friend who comes to the rescue in the hour of your desperate need. He gets back into that boat. And now he's riding in that boat with disciples who've never been where he's been. And they've never done what he's done because they've never been willing to get out of the boat. You know, some of you are sitting next to people who've walked on water in their life. They have done incredible things for God. They have gone to incredible moments of, of blessing and miracles in their life because they were willing to get out of the boat and to trust God. Can I tell you this morning, you can't walk on water until you get out of the boat, until you trust God and say, I want to walk with Jesus. Wherever he's walking, whatever he's doing, I want to do it. I want to be a part of it. Now we come to the end of the Gospels, and Jesus is about to be crucified. And in this moment, we read the, in the scriptures that uh, Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise on the third day. Peter says, no, Lord, there's no need to go to Jerusalem. You, you can avoid this. And while he's trying to make sure Jesus doesn't get hurt, he's trying to protect the Lord. The Lord says to him, he says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Satan has desired to shake you up. That word sifting is a word that comes from the uh, ancient world, the agricultural system of the world, they didn't have tractors like we have today. And so in order to sift wheat, you would harvest the wheat, you would place it on a hard surface, a threshing floor, and uh, that could be made of stone or something like concrete. And they would take a wagon and an ox and drive the ox over the wheat and it would break down the wheat so that it would separate the wheat from the chaff. And as they would break down the, the, uh, the wheat, then they would take it and they would throw it up with a pitchfork. And they would cause a, a, that wheat to be going up into the air and they would, they would blow with a fan that would, that would make the wind, a blast of wind, come through there and it would, it would blow the chaff away, the little shell off of the wheat and all that would remain was the, the wheat. Then they would take that wheat and they would grind it up into flour. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to break you down. He wants to blow you away. And he wants to crush you like powder. Think about that, friends, because that's Satan's assignment over everyone of our lives. And many of you, he's achieved it. He's broken you down. He's broken down your defenses. He's broken down your faith. He's broken down your confidence in God. And then he wants to toss you up and blow you away. He wants to make you a has-been. He wants to make you a reproach and a byword among the nation and among your family. He wants the people to say, what happened to them? They used to go to church. 
They used to serve in the house of God, but look at them now. They've gotten blown away by circumstances. He wants to destroy the gift of God that's in your life. Jesus said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. But can I tell you, friend, what Satan doesn't realize is that when he breaks us down and when he blows us away and when he grinds our life down to nothing, that he doesn't realize that he is refining us for use in the master's hands. So don't worry about the sifting of the devil. Why? Because Jesus said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you, but I have prayed for you. I'm interceding for you. I am going to stand before God the Father until your life has been restored, until your life has been made new. Come on, somebody. You have an intercessor before God this morning. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how far you've fallen. I don't care how much the devil has sifted you. There is an, a high priest before the living God who stands to make intercession for you. And Jesus is praying for you this morning. Jesus is praying for you that you would be restored. He said when you are saved, when you are converted, go help your brothers, Peter. Because, you see, God had a purpose for Peter after the sifting, after the testing. And now we go into the Passion Week. Jesus gets arrested. Peter is sifted. And when push comes to shove, Peter denies Christ. A little girl comes up to him and she says, aren't you the one I saw with Jesus? He said, no. That wasn't me. Someone else said, but you're a Galilean. You sound just like him. Your accent gives you away. He said, no. I've never met that man. I don't know him. Finally, one more time, they ask him. And the Bible says he starts cussing. Now Peter has been crushed. and He has been tossed up and he's been blown away. The Bible tells us that he goes back to fishing. Because you see, when you have been tested so, so hard and, and the enemy has had such a, a good day in your life, Many times, the only answer that you can find is to go back to the life you used to know. To go back to the things you used to do. To the people you used to hang out with. To the, to the world and its ways. But you see, Jesus loved Peter too much to just let him go back. To reject the call that he had placed upon his life. And so Peter is out on the sea few days after the resurrection, and he's fishing, but he's not catching anything. Because you see, friend, there is nothing to go back to. There is nothing in yesterday that God wants for your tomorrow. You see, you can go back to the way you used to do things, but it will be fruitless, and it will be empty. You can go back to fishing, but if God has called you away from that, Peter, there is no, you can do that for 10 years, 20 years, it's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you high and dry. And so the Bible said that one, one morning as they are fishing, the morning starts to come. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught anything. 
And Jesus comes out on the seashore. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't leave you? I said, Jesus doesn't leave you. The Bible said there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Your brothers and your sisters might desert you, but Jesus is the friend that comes to you in the hour of rejection and, and failure. He asks a question. I love a King James question. Do you have any meat? NASB said, do you have any fish? No. Has the world given you anything worth keeping? No. Do you have any meat? I said, no. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Now, at this point, things must have started feeling a little familiar to Peter. He takes his nets. And he cast them on the right side of the boat. And immediately there is a catch so big that they can't pull it in. They can't haul it in. And in the, in the melee of that moment, when they are trying to pull in that, that uh, catch of fish, they just made probably three or four weeks worth of wages in a moment. John looks up because this is starting to look too familiar. He says to Peter, I think that might be Jesus. And the Bible said when he heard that, Peter jumped out of the boat and he started swimming toward the sea. Why? Because those fish weren't worth more than Jesus. That boat wasn't worth more than Jesus. Come on, somebody. This morning, this is our prayer. This, this is our desire before God. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. More than a new boat, more than a new fat pastime, more than a raise in pay. Give me Jesus. More than a new house, more than a new car, more than a new wardrobe. Give me Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. I want Jesus. I want Jesus in the morning. I want Jesus at night. I want Jesus in my crisis. I want Jesus when I'm sick. I want Jesus when I'm depressed. Give me Jesus. He swims to Jesus. Now, he had been called by Jesus. And he had been amazed by Jesus. And he had been saved by Jesus. But now, he has been restored by Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have everything else. But if I can't have Jesus, nothing else is worth anything. This morning, I want to invite you into this altar to just come before God and meet with him not as your boss, not as some distant creator, but meet with him as your friend. He wants to sit with you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to meet your need. He wants you to know him. And if you say, I want him, I know him already, he says, I want you to know me more. Come on, if you want Jesus this morning, would you just come into this altar? Would you just come and say, Lord, give me more of Jesus, more of your presence, more of your power, more of your grace.
Give me a greater love. Maybe like Simon Peter, you feel like you have reached the end. Today, Jesus says, I'm here. I've come all the way out to meet you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is the restorer of the breach.